to From the Valley Podcast with your host, Tim Wilshere. Yeah, welcome along everybody. It's episode 62 here on Tuesday, the 17th of September 2019. Uh, I've got uh, Bev Ryan with me from uh, Smart Women, what's it, Smart Women Publish. Uh, thanks for coming along, Bev. Yeah, welcome. It's great to be here, Tim. Thank you very much for agreeing to come on. I know we sort of rescheduled from a couple of months ago, but uh, thanks for coming in. And uh, I guess today I'll just talk a bit about your your uh, journey in life and, and in business. Mm-hmm. Um, and also, uh, you know, I guess what, what you're sort of looking to, to, to do sort of in the coming years as well as uh, what you can reflect on in what you have done and sure. and that sort of thing. So first up, I guess, whereabouts were you born and, and uh, whereabouts did you grow up early in life? Yeah, well, I'm, I'm one of the rare people in Queensland who's actually a Queenslander. Born in Brisbane? Or? Well, born in Toowoomba, um, yep. grew up on the dairy farm out South Burnett region, which um, you know, many dairy farms aren't, don't exist out there anymore, but that was my my upbringing. Um, hit the big smoke at boarding school in Ipswich and then university at the U of Q in um, St Lucia. Went to uni there for four years, became a teacher. And uh, yeah. studying education? or Yeah, uh, BA Dip Ed, which was Yep, same, pretty standard yeah. at the time. Um, it was there was a scholarship available. I won a scholarship, and that's what I could do. So, mm. it was the Department of Education scholarship four years uh, to become a high school teacher. So, so any what sort of any sort of casual jobs that you sort of had um, in high school years and uni years? Oh, well, when I was at uni, yeah, usual student casual jobs, working in Maya, doing babysitting on the holidays, that sort of thing. But. Um, no, my first real job was teaching when I graduated and went to Mount Isa. So my first year of teaching was in Mount Isa in the mid-70s, which was a wow. pretty cool place to be in the mid-70s, yeah. So and what sort of uh, age group were you teaching? You sort of uh, primary school, high school? High school, always high school, yeah. And, high school uh, English. English, obviously, very mm-hmm. good uh, with books and stuff. So English, you'd, you'd imagine that's probably could be what you teach. Yeah, um, yeah. And anything, any other sort of subjects as well? Um, geography or social science, okay. the, the soft subjects, I suppose, if you want to call them that. The subjects that kids would choose when they wouldn't, didn't want to do something else, they'd mm. do geography. It's, it's a very fascinating subject. But um, mm. yeah. what, what do you think of the sort of curriculum back in those days? I mean, what do you, you obviously were a teacher. Were you sort of fairly passionate about what was being taught? Sort of, did you sort of agree with the methods back in those days? Um, yeah, look, I... I I did, probably one of these, even though I grew up in the 60s and 70s, you know, when things were changing, there was a lot of people uh, revolting a lot about a lot of things back then. And I probably didn't question things a lot. I think back about myself then, I didn't question a lot. But I do remember very vividly in the 70s teaching things like climate change. You know, it's not a new subject. It's No, it's definitely not a yeah. new subject. Mm, yeah. So it's always existed and it's, I mm. guess it... it, it Maybe just the media was different back then as mm. well. Maybe the media mm. sort of didn't weren't all over it like they sort of are these days. Mm. Yeah, I think you know it's a lot more people are aware of it now. But the media does kind of get in the middle of conversations and just blow things out of proportion. Not not blowing them out of proportion. That's not the right word. But um, they'll sensationalise things that yes. should be a normal conversation. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. So teaching in, at Mount Isa and then where, where was next after that? Did you sort of go back into this part yeah, of the world? Yeah, almost. I got a transfer to Bow Desert, so I taught there for two years in the mid-70s. So this, by this stage, it was, yeah, late 70s. Um, so I, was, I had a scholarship which was, I was bonded for four years. It was four years at uni in return for four years of paid teaching. Um, after I'd been teaching for three years, the state government abolished the bond to do with the 
with, with that program. So I was no longer bonded to teach. So I kind of resigned pretty quickly and went overseas. So I did my two-year backpacking, late 70s escape, which was probably the best thing I could have ever done, actually. Yeah. And whereabouts did you sort of backpack to when you oh, back in those days? Everywhere. I started off in Asia and, and went from there to Europe. Uh, worked in Holland for a while, um, or Netherlands. Um, I went to Africa, Sudan and Egypt, back to Greece. I taught English in Greece. Um, yeah, Norway, I went yeah, all around the place. After two, nearly two years, I came home again. Yeah. Mm. Mm. And back in that sort of first time of travelling, or I guess it's one of your first times, uh, what, I guess what stood out to you as far as a destination, a world destination that you sort of really enjoyed or that you sort of felt like it was Bev Bryan? Yeah, two things. Um, when I went to Egypt, I did, it sort of sounds strange, but I went to Egypt because somebody else I knew was going there. So I, I didn't have a great interest in history, I suppose. But Egypt, I mean, how can you not be amazed by history when you're in Egypt? So that was just a real, like, you, you go into the ruins in Luxor and not so much the pyramid. I mean, the pyramids are amazing, but there's so much more to Egypt history than just the pyramids. You go a bit further south down the Nile and then out into the Valley of the Queens, Kings, Valley of the Kings, um, saw Tutankhamun's tomb and, you know, just the stuff that's kind of almost myth mythological when you live in Australia and suddenly you're in the middle of it. That was amazing. Um, in terms of beauty and softness, it was Norway. Um, there is a, there's kind of a story in my family, nobody knows the, the real story, but... Um, few generations back apparently one of my forefathers was fathered by a Scandinavian athlete okay. but no one can figure out who this is uh, so there was an illegitimate child at some stage and the, the story is Scandinavian athlete and I went to Norway and it's just like wow I think he might have been from Norway <laughs> it just kind of feels feels felt felt home I've been there a couple of times yeah, yeah I've been yeah. there the one time and it's yeah. it's a beautiful place I love yeah. um, um, Bergen in, Bergen's a nice little place mm. I don't know yeah. if you've been there, but that was beautiful. And then obviously Tromso up north mm. of, the, of the country is just where, you know, it's obviously a reasonably well-known sort of area as well. And then we sort of, we actually went on a cruise and went up, on the Hurtigruten. the fields, up the fields yeah. up the west yeah. coast, yeah. yeah. We drove across and then looked at the fields across the Yeah, and, and Oslo was a bit different um, mm. to what I expected, which, yeah, that, that was quite interesting. Mm. Um, yeah, okay, so that's um, that, that sort of trip then and... Uh, I guess, how many sort of years then did you continue to teach uh, after that? Yeah, I came back. Um, I did another few years of teaching when I had small children. Um, did another couple of years. So total, in total, I've, I was a teacher about seven years, sort of in two different blocks of time. Um, but then um, I, had, I had two children. I was married, had two children, divorced. I remarried, had two more children. So um, four children in total? Four children in total. Yep. By that stage, um, living on an acreage at the back of outside Beanley, out towards towards Jacobsville, out there, yep. out that road, um, wanted to do something from home. Lived on acreage. My my partner, my husband at the time, was working as a cabinet maker in the back of the five acres, and um, I think that's where my big, in terms of career change, that's where my pivotal moment happened. Um, I was searching for something to do that wasn't teaching. I mean, it's a great profession, but it's you know, the discipline in the classroom is really hard work, uh, and I wasn't cut out for that. Um, anyway, I discovered publishing then. I hadn't never 
learned or studied publishing. I just, just had this bright idea that I could publish a magazine about home-based business back in the late 90s. So that's how I got into publishing. Okay, so that's obviously sort of something you felt that you could have a passion for and obviously you're still, mm. you're still doing it as we speak. Mm. You're obviously still uh, publishing books and that sort of thing. So um, so was it a magazine was the first thing you published yeah. and uh, was it like a regular magazine or was it...? Yeah, no, it was a magazine called Work From Home yep. and it was a real career change for me and at the time I got interested in publishing because I did a real, really intensive look at what my interests were um, and out of that, I, I realised that I needed various things in to make me happy, which was um, talking to people, gathering stories, the creative side of creating a book or a magazine. Um, yes, yeah. That, just the whole range of activities that goes towards publishing a book or a magazine were just perfectly suited to what I like to do. But in the same time, in that career change for myself, I got interested in how important it is for other people to find that same path, that career change path, which can be really, could be quite devastating for people when they want to change, but they don't know what they can do and they don't know how to do it. So from that late 90s, I've got the, those two interests to merge, which was career change and publishing. Yep. So since then, really my career has intertwined those two things. Um, even to this day today, I'm still doing some part-time career change consulting yep. and also publishing. Yeah. Yeah. So... So definitely utilising your, your skills. I still think that you're probably utilising, obviously, your skills that you learnt, um, even being a teacher in some of these mm. these roles, but then obviously the less stress of the, the children being in front mm. of you and, mm. and having to work out a way to keep them in line and mm. that sort of thing. You don't With these types of things, it's less. It's more of a, a one-on-one situation with you know people that, that, are, that mm. you're talking about their career with and... Then the, the egos go out the door, mm-hmm. uh, and publishing is obviously something you're very good at because you know you obviously got that background with English teaching mm. and and uh, obviously proofreading mm. and uh, yeah. making sure things are set out in the right sort of paragraph formats and mm. all that sort of yeah. thing. Yep. It's, I can see how it all sort of makes sense for yeah. that to be still a logical, you know, thing that you're mm. doing as as we speak right now. Yeah. So it's it's great that um, you've been able to, you know you've been able to find your niche anyway and been able to certainly um, help a lot of people be able mm. to tell their stories and, and that sort of thing. Um, so publishing. When was the first time you published a, a book or a novel or something like that? Yeah, I've only recently published my own work. Um, yep. With the magazines, I published the magazine work from home. It was a national magazine and it came out quarterly. So I did that for a few years and. Um, Partly because I knew people wanted to know how to work from home. Late 90s, people wanted to know how do I work from home. Computers were becoming more and more prevalent in homes. Um, so I did that for three years. And I published another magazine called Honestly Woman. And that one came out from 2006 to 2009. Um, so that one was really my my audience were mature women like myself who I knew were... Um, either wanting to run businesses or change direction, just kind of at a time, I suppose, when, when there's a certain time in, in a woman's life anyway where your kids grow up and it's time for you again and they're not ready to retire. They just, there's this new freedom and they want to discover who they who they are. And yeah. 
do things, do, you know, in terms of professions or, or you know, careers, whatever. So that was my own. I published that as well for three years. Um, then, I, So that went around nationally? Yeah, that was it? national as well, quarterly yeah. national magazine. Yeah. Um, they would never had, you know, it was only printing maybe seven, um, about five, 6,000 copies a quarter. So then it weren't huge, but I wasn't Still. trying to be huge. To be a huge magazine, the costs are it's enormous, you know, because mm. Ida couldn't do it. Why would I? <laughs> yeah. Why, why, why yes. did you do it? Yeah. I think I was. So sometimes, you know, many times you're better to just do something small. You don't have to be the big guy. Yeah. So obviously <laughs> I think I can see that you may have had, I mean, there's maybe a maybe a fascination with magazines as well. Um, mm. So what... What magazines did you sort of like to read, I guess, over the last 20 years? If you say, if you mm. go to the newsagent, traditional mm. newsagent, and look around the shelf, what would you sort of be looking at yeah. as, as something you'd want to pick up and, and take? Nowadays, uh, nowadays, this is an old word, um, there's a magazine, it's actually a British magazine, but you can buy it in some news agencies here. It's called Psychologies, and even though it's called Psychologies, it's really about mindset. It's really a magazine design. The, the stories are actually fairly light, but they're quite motivating. Um, they help people just kind of improve their life, you know, but it's a nice, easy read, but really interesting. Mind Food is another one that's come out of New Zealand. You know, I like magazines that have got some content. Dumbo's a really cute magazine, um, so Australian. Dum- did you say Dumbo? Dumbo, yeah, yeah okay. as in, you know, Dumbo could fly with the feather. So it's kind of got that inspirational title, Dumbo. They've done really well. So they're kind of all fairly niche magazines. Um, the reason my magazine, Honestly Woman, was popular, or, the, or the, what gave me direction with that was when I was thinking about doing it, I did my market research and asked women, you know, sort of women over 45, over 50, what they liked in magazines. And there was a, a resounding um, negative response to magazines full of glossy advertising. Um, so they were looking, they still, you know, people still like magazines, but they, many women want more than just ads and trite, you know, trite stories or fashion shoots with, you know, 20-year-olds wearing clothes that are supposed to be selling to 60-year-olds. You know, they just, I mean, obviously there's enough of an audience for that because they're still there. But people want alternatives. People always want alternatives to the big guys. Mm. Yeah, yeah. De- yeah, definitely. I mean, a lot, lot of magazines that you ever get, obviously they need to get their revenue and that's why they, their ads, mm. yeah. you know, every second page, third, you know. So mm. that, that's certainly what they, in you know, traditionally that's what they obviously try to do. But obviously as time goes by, I think people, I mean, will be buying magazines a bit less anyway unless there's a particular mm. topic they like and they like the, the mm. format and... And all of that sort of thing. So, you, have you sort of seen a bit of a drop off in, in sort of people, um, you know, buying magazines and that over the last yeah, decade? Yeah, definitely. <coughs> Excuse me. Mm. I think I finished doing my magazine uh, when the GFC came. It was end of two thousand eight, early two thousand and nine, mm. and I'd really just got it to the point where it's covering its own costs. Mm. And um, with the GFC and all the negative press, and, and I just didn't want to. I didn't want to fund it any further myself and I did not want to start pushing for advertising sales to mm. business owners who were caught up in the GFC. So yeah. that's why I stopped doing it. Um, yeah, I could see that. Mm. So, and that's what's changed dramatically is the mm. advertising revenue for magazines has changed yeah. dramatically. So even when you were publishing back then, um, what sort of what sort of companies would advertise in your magazines? What? Yeah, uh, just smaller businesses that 
um, wanted to reach yeah. women. But also, yeah. I got I did get some advertising from Westpac because they they've got a definite okay. marketing strategy to reach women. Um, Australia Post they advertised um, their delivery service because a lot of people mm. are now producing products and services from home and need you know, Australia Post is a major delivery mm. of that. Um, yeah, so I had somebody assisting with the ad sales, so she got mm. some good clients in. Okay, so I guess tell us when you sort of started uh, publishing books for other people. When mm. did that start? Well, that actually started at that time because in 2009 yeah. I finished the magazine, but I'd built up a database of Contacts. women. Um, yeah. I really – and I was running um, quarterly lunches. Every time the magazine came out, I'd run a lunch. So I wanted to – Yeah, it was a nice synergy. Um, so I wanted to keep working with those sorts of – you know, just enterprising women. I think that's the term I find the most descriptive of them. So the growth of self-publishing was happening. You know, it was very evident that more and more people were self-publishing books. And I sort of suddenly realised, well, well, I actually do know how to self-publish things. I taught myself how to self-publish magazines. Mm-hmm. I've been doing it for seven years. I had worked with a team of graphic designers and editors and printers, so I had all the skills. So that's when I started helping other people self-publish books instead of doing my own magazines. Similar process. Um, it's very creative. What I love about it is that combination of um, creativity, but also the the sort of intellectual stimulation of working with people who are kind of take, getting all their knowledge out of their head, putting mm. it in words. Um, mm. Very rewarding. I love the fact that what I'm doing has an outcome, a tangible outcome, a book or a magazine. You know, you've got something to show at the end of it, yes. and that project's yeah. done. Then you work on move on to another project. So. There's a lot of there's a variety. Mm. Yeah, I think that's really interesting. Yeah, my last guest on the podcast last was it Thursday or Friday. He's uh, in the middle of writing an 800-page book. Or mm, that's a been, long book. It's been going eight years. Wow, <laughs> is it a novel? I, I put him, give him your contact details, yeah, but uh, it's it's pages. very is it's it philosophical. A... So it's oh. it's about the philosophy of what the meaning of life and Ooh, wow. from a from an engineering point of view I think because he's an okay. engineering he, that's his area of expertise he yep. goes in there and does change tries to change organisations um, in the usually some in the mining sector and yeah. he's, he's a very interesting guy press uh, very interesting that was a good, very good podcast last late last I must week listen to it. Yeah. Um, but uh, yeah he's probably got a couple of years to go to, to wow. edit his book and oh. he's very he's very perfectionist because okay. that's in terms of publishing I think the first the early when I, w- I work with people with books in the planning stage so you know someone will say well look I know I, I want to write a book but I don't know where to start so as a book coach I'll work with them to help them plan out their book mm. and the key parts of planning out your book it's a bit like planning out a business you've got to know whether there's a, an audience or a market and you've got to know what they want so there's no point in writing 800 pages if you haven't checked whether it. people want it you know um, unless it's a, unless it's an exercise in itself which is fine which I think it is yeah. in this case. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, so I guess obviously uh, going back to when you started uh, publishing books. So, so, how many books do you think you've been instrumental in in helping mm. uh, get onto the shelves or out out in the? Well, um, since two thousand and nine, um, I probably should add it up some stage. I mean, I'm I'm not a big business, so I you know I've got yeah. a team that I yes. I work with. Um, my partner gives me a hand in some of the office, but yeah. I, I don't want it to be overwhelming. No, no, it's, um, you've got to, it's, but it's got to be controlled. And, yeah. yeah, so I probably, I don't know, 
if I looked at my account, probably 30 or 40 books. Yeah, that I've, that's, that's, yeah. That's, that's And that might just be as a book coach helping them in the early days. It yeah. might be total production services. Mm. might be just editing or whatever. Yeah, yeah. obviously, you know, mm. good involvement. Yeah. And, yeah. and, and it's sort of um, – and obviously mm. there's some that are always, you know, that are ongoing, I'm sure, that don't, mm. you know – Contrary to what you know, some people write a book very fast, but mm. but you would have seen it where you know someone you met um, in two thousand, you know, in the early days may have taken a few years to oh definitely to, yeah. to get their book out. Yes, um, I, I took a few years for my own. So you yeah. asked me earlier on about self-publishing my own mm. book. I, mm. Just earlier this year, I, I published um, Smart Women Published, which is really a how-to book. Yeah, and um, but that book now is the foundation for coaching programs that I use so you know it's a standalone book but it also it's useful because I can add on to it um, or base programs on the content of the book which is always a good idea Mm. from your experience you you know so most people most regular everyday Australians do have a story don't they oh god yeah yeah they can put yeah one of my favorite parts of this I think Saturday or Sunday career mail paper is is the ordinary people segment once a week, one of the one of the lift outs on um, in the weekend anyway is has a little section ordinary people and no, then far from ordinary, and that's that's the point. So everyone does have a story. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. So tell us a bit about um, how you sort of first became involved in in our bots networking group because that's mm. been going on a few years at least, hasn't it? And uh, yeah. you've always and ever since you've uh, been involved with bots, you've had. You pretty much you're always you're always there after pretty much every breakfast Almost. unless there's something you know it's pretty rare that you would not there I guess yeah, is, is what I'm yeah. saying yeah. Um, and you sort of have a you know a good role in that where you sort of keep things organised when it comes to speakers just, just, and oh, yeah. and organising trying to. this and that but <laughs> what what do you like about that group I mean it's just a nice small group but mm. obviously you were drawn to it you know the first time yeah. you went yeah um, well the story behind that I've always been a western suburbs girl because I think because my first time in Brisbane was going to University of Queensland so that's where I lived so I've always I've come I've been away from Brisbane come back to Brisbane tended to always end up in the western suburbs um, we sold a house in Jindalee about four four years ago I guess and moved to Nunda mainly be, to be closer to family on the north side uh, someone, our first grandchild was due. Anyway, we moved to Nanda. Um, I know Vivian Lewis. I met Viv through my magazine, actually. Um, mm-hmm. She'd actually been part of a book I had worked on for somebody else. And Viv goes to bots, so Viv said, well, come along. So I was really looking to, A, you know, join a, a business network on the north side, but also we wanted to meet some nice people on the north side, sort of grow our friendship base on the north side. So that's while we ended up there and both of those things have happened and so it's been really lovely mm. Mm, excellent so and uh yeah and obviously linkedin is something you've also um <clears throat> you obviously uh help people with their linkedin profile mm. i know that's one of the things that mm. uh, you mentioned at bots a few times that mm. you've sort of you've had and given examples where you've helped uh mm. helped uh, people linkedin is obviously tell us what your what your sort of interpretation and of linkedin is and also um you know, I guess, up. you know, do people, what's the correct way to use it and a non-correct mm. way to use it and that sort of okay. thing? Okay. Um, well, just a context around LinkedIn, it's, that's part of my the work I do as a career coach because it's just one of the critical parts of, of job search now. Yep. Um, it's also important to 
business was in my as a career coach I I'm often helping people establish a profile on LinkedIn because it's not something they've used before um, or they might have had a profile on LinkedIn because their boss said oh look you know like if you work for Westpac or for Central, you know you need to have a profile on LinkedIn that says Westpac whatever so um, when people come to job search the you know their important documents are their um, their resume, their LinkedIn profile, and any sort of cover letter that they might use in job applications. So it's critical for that point of view. And you know, I've met pe- various people. My son-in-law actually is one of them. Um, LinkedIn uh, or recruiters have used LinkedIn to reach out for people and Maybe reach out yes. and find them and offer them positions. You know, that happens all the time. Um, in terms of business, that's another sort of yeah, it's a different purpose then, but. Um, it's definitely your online profile is really important on LinkedIn. People use it to find out more about you. Well, the way I describe it in terms of job search, I suppose, is that your your resume by by default is a clipped version of your career. The the language is brief. There's a brevity about what you put in your resume, whereas on LinkedIn you can relax and open up a bit more about who the person is behind the resume. And I think it's like that with business as well. Um, every business owner should have an about page on their website which surprises me sometimes you go to a business website and you can't see who runs the business you just got to show yourself you know whoever you fair are enough, that's how I feel anyway because I think there's so much so many people make decisions about dealing with other people based on the person behind the anyway going back to LinkedIn yeah, um, yeah. I think it's important your LinkedIn section which is now it's called about I think um, has a real an honesty about it but also a little bit of a business pitch but in a really nice way um so that's really important to get that about section right and um i this uh, a lot of people ask should they pay to use the functions on linkedin i always my response is well use if use the free functions really well first okay get that under under you know, get that happening really well. And then if you feel like you want to then pay for functionality, sure, go ahead, but do it right. Um, I've never paid for the, any any particular functions on LinkedIn. I'd, I think I the one... I have, yeah. I probably no, still do, actually. I think the one thing that people don't like on LinkedIn is, is being contacted by somebody else, which is fine, but then being sent a pitch straight away. Like, yeah, yeah. I, we get that every... We get that every second day pretty much yeah, from, from so. LinkedIn so that's probably yeah. in my just my opinion that's probably the wrong way to use it yeah I, I agree I, I just use mm. it more just keep your profile up to date mm. make sure it looks good mm. and also just um, use it as a connect way of connecting with somebody yeah. say look I remember mm. such and mm. such because I connected mm. with him mm. um, yeah. and they're an expert in da 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 so that might be someone I can talk to about oh, this definitely yeah it's um, still a, it, you know, but again recruitment so yeah. what about recru- so remember recruiters I mean you see there's there's you hear some stories about recruiters doing the wrong thing and the right thing mm. um, and and obviously LinkedIn's there for can be you know can be uh, a bit I guess abused a little bit by recruiters as well mm. um, I've seen I've heard some stories I've heard some stories okay. um, yeah. in relation to that um, so yeah, tell us a bit about uh, who are the people you sort of idolise. I guess uh, that are, I guess that are famous first of all, and then not obviously people that you know. I guess probably more so in this area that you see as mentors or inspirations. Mm. Okay, so I think 
I think in terms of, I think I, I respond or I'm interested in following or admiring probably women who I feel like I can not model myself after, but they just give me inspiration, particularly as I've gotten older. I think this is really important that like in the business world, uh, you know, I go to a business function. I'm in my mid-60s and I'm... I might go to a business function and it feels like everyone else in the room is younger and then you sort of think, oh, God, am I, <laughs> what am I doing? And then you might see someone like Maggie Beer, uh, who's, I think she must be 70. Um, she's just amazing. Um, so I find women like that, Helen Mirren, uh, Judy Dench, you know, older women who are just, they're just on fire. You know, they just do what they love to do. And then mm. there's sort of, it's, it's not that they don't care, they do care, but they just kind of, they're just so solid in who they are. Mm-hmm. And if they want to keep working, they keep working. It's uh, I find women like that inspire me now at this time in my life. Um, so in terms of mentors, I had this conversation recently with a few people that when I was younger, there was not a lot of mentoring in the workplace. Like as a professional, as a teacher, as a young teacher, I, there was so many things about what I did that was actually very good. I was very good at teaching, although I didn't think I was. And I think... If you're a young person in your profession or your business and you get a mentor, you know, deliberately find a mentor that can help show you, give you the confidence to know, look, this part of, in this part of your career you're doing awesome and you, there's so much more you can learn, so stick with it and just think about a plan. So music teaching as an example. I wasn't happy in the classroom but there were so many other avenues within the teaching profession that I could have with a plan, sort of, okay, well, in two years if I do this and then I could become, for example, you know, a librarian or a career guidance coach in a school. I mean, that would have been a perfect. Um, I was quite capable of figuring that out myself, but you don't always do that. So actually I met some, with somebody yesterday and he's a mentor for young engineers because he was an engineer and he... And I just think that sort of mentoring is so valuable now for people in their in a profession who... You know, they've invested their time and their study and their money, but they're not necessarily quite found their little spot in that profession. Don't mm. just walk away. Just find a mentor that can help you figure out what that spot is because mm. obviously so much about that career that has drawn you to it. It's a lot just to walk away from it. Mm. Um, so it's wonderful to see that sort of mentoring so accessible these days. Uh, I think it's awesome. Um, but that wasn't really something that, it was probably available, but it wasn't something that kind of registered in my mind when I was a young teacher. Mm. Um, yeah. Um, does that answer your question? Yeah, no, it's, yeah. That's, that certainly does. I mean, yeah. Um, so, yeah, uh, I guess um, I guess where do you sort of see things going in the future as far as, um, you know, what you're, what, you, what you're doing? Is this, do you think you sort of look forward to retirement and that sort of thing? Or mm. do you think you, you can continue to, to do this for a while longer? Probably, well, it's in our case, it's a matter of necessity that I keep doing it for a while. But I, I, I mean, I love doing it, so yeah. I'm just you've got to be passionate about it. Yeah, rather. yeah. I mean, the alternative would be what to sit at home and do what. Um, you know, it's just never that's never really appealed to me. Or the yeah. thought of travelling around Australia or sitting on a cruise ship. It's just like well, okay, yeah. well, I could do it for a week. You know, I'd be happy yep. with a week. Um, but I know after two weeks holidays, like okay, I've had my holiday. What next? Yeah, I think I I like the mental stimulation of, yep. of something, whatever it is. Um, 
and I mean, in terms of publishing, everything's digital. Everything's online. I could, I could do my publishing business from anywhere. I could travel and do the, and do mm. the business um, quite easily. Do that. Yep. So I mean, we live in a pretty amazing world that we got that option. Mm. Yeah. That's for sure. Mm. So in Brisbane, uh, do you obviously like living in this part of the world now? Is it what, what is it about this place that uh, I guess draws you in in with, as far as Brisbane? Are there anything you particularly yeah. like to do here as well? Yeah, oh, Brisbane. I mean, it's a great city. I was just actually this morning at I don't know what time seven o'clock this morning. I had, hooked up um, on Facebook with my son, who's just been overseas for six months, and he's just come out of, through New York for a few days, and then he's now in LA. We're just talking this morning about his renew, his renewed or a newfound appreciation for Brisbane as a place to come home and call home, because mm-hmm. um, it's kind of just the right size. It's you know, there's enough here. Mm. I mean, I, you know, I'm obviously totally different situation, life situation to my son, but I think Brisbane is one of those towns. It's it's there's plenty to do here. It's not if yep. you don't find if you don't think, if you think there's nothing to do in Brisbane, you're not looking very hard. Um, it's got hot summers. That's probably my only thing. But you know, yep. air conditioning is pretty prevalent. So no, I really love Brisbane. I, you know, we could we could easily live in a quieter place, but it's just. My partners grew up in a farm in New Zealand, so we're both farm kids. Yeah, definitely. Um, but we both like the city, so it's you know we find Brisbane a really easy, easy place to live. Yeah. Mm. yeah. So I guess uh, adv- any sort of advice that you've got to the listeners who may be thinking of you know putting their story into a book um, and publishing it, uh, uh, what I guess what's your advice on where to actually start? Yeah. Okay. So just to to clarify the work I do, I work with authors of non-fiction and most of the time, well, 99% of the time, I'm working with people who are business owners or, you know, solo entrepreneurs or whatever who want to write a book that will help establish their expertise or establish their credibility in their space. Um, Many times they also want to tell their story, but I guess it... In that case, the caution is, well, tell your story in your book if it's a benefit to the reader who's wanting to learn how to do something better. Mm. Um, for example, my book is about you know, how to publish. So my story about me learning how to self-publish with magazines is part of my introduction because one of the factors when anyone starts anything new like that is self-doubt. So, and And there's something about writing a book, you know, to become an author is it's a big step and to be recognized as an author it really challenges some people's self-belief like mm. you know who am I to write a book um, so I think the, the planning stage the planning stage is really critical to figure out how you're going to structure the book you know what's my message but more about well who's going to read it and what benefit are they going to get from the book mm. um, that's the really important part once you understand that, then that determines what you put in your book. So take time to plan it. Don't just sit down and think you're going to write it. Just plan it first. Mm. Um, I've just run a, a webinar program for a group of women, and that's really the whole webinar was about how to get your book started. And it ran over six fortnights uh, with coaching time. And people are still, you know, some people, by the end of that six or that program, um, many people were in the research phase. That, as I said to them, you've got to ask questions. You've got to find mm. out what readers want. Mm. Um, yeah, so that's a stage. Understanding your planning is a stage. Mm. Then it's your writing and then it's the production. So it's three very distinct stages. Mm. Now, I always think, uh, obviously, we've 
part of the the bots is is, is networking and what sort of um, I guess types of networking do you actually enjoy or have enjoyed over the years or, or still enjoy apart from bots anything in particular that yeah um, I, I do enjoy networking I'm probably one of these sort of introvert extrovert kind of <laughs> real mixture of those two mixture yeah um, I like something that's meaningful um, which is comes from smaller groups and having one to one conversations I think mm. um, I do like when I was doing my magazine, I mentioned before I'd run lunches. But that's when I think about it. That's actually ten years ago. So that's a while ago. Mm. I did like I like bringing people together and watching yep. the synergy of people connecting within the room. I think that's really I really enjoy that side of it as well. Um, something I need to do more of. I need to get out and go to some different groups. I've heard about a couple of different groups meeting in Brisbane, so I need to get out and mix it up a bit because mm. I've been. I haven't done a lot of that recently, so I think that's one of the key. Mm. Um, you know, there's so much emphasis on building your business through social media, but at the really the best business is through one-to-one contact. Yep. Which and it may, you may not have a coffee with someone who's going to become a client, but they then may ref, refer someone else to you mm. down the track. So, huge value in that connect, yeah. human connection. Excellent. No, I, I think uh, any sort of final words. I think. Um, it's been great to certainly have you on the podcast. Mm. It's always good to hear um, a bit of a different story and uh, mm. certainly a different uh, uh, line of work to, I guess, other people that have been on the podcast that we haven't had sort of... Mm. We've had, I think Karen might have had a bit of a teaching background as well. Mm. Yes. Uh, so yes. it's good to have somebody with a, a teaching yeah. background that's mm. seen gone into mm. a particular career that, yeah. Uh, yeah. you know, has been very fulfilling and helped a lot of people uh, mm. and been able to fulfil... Um, you know your own sort of career aspirations as well, or, yeah, or like you know, and life aspirations. Mm. Yeah, I guess my final word is that uh, was, you can always be doing more than one thing. Um, you know, I, as I said, I'm I'm a solo business owner, and you know I've done I've had the the consulting gig, which is my my career coaching in the city, and then a business on 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 the other half based at home. I think there's a lot of benefit for people to do both um, we can put a lot of pressure on ourselves sometimes particularly in the business world um, you know that feeling oh I've got to have a business that generates X amount of dollars and I've got to do this and this well, you really have to tune into what you want you know and what I want now is different to what I wanted 10 years ago and sometimes you just got to sit mm. back step back and think okay well who am I now what do I actually want my day to look like what do I want my week to look like um, and that was really pivotal. My my career change when I went into publishing was because I took time out and mm. did that. I thought, okay, what do I actually want my life to look like? Mm. And um, I think every now and then we've got to do that, step mm. back and think, okay. Excellent. No, it's been a pleasure to have you on the podcast. Thank you very much. That uh, was episode number 62 with Bev Ryan uh, from Smart Women Publish. Uh, it's been great. We'll get this uploaded hopefully today and uh, be able to share it around with, with all your network of uh, people and friends. So yeah, thanks, Tim. No worries. It's a pleasure to have you in. Thank you.